It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, some sanity returns in the national media, and I'm going to talk about the Ian Rappaport report about Andy Dalton and the Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks podcast that spent 10 minutes or so, 20 minutes actually, on Joe Burrow and the situation he will find himself in in Cincinnati. No more speculation, no more people acting as if there are new reports. No more repeating defunct radio personalities as if they have sources and are doing true reporting. Instead, you get something from a reliable source in Ian Rappaport and very respected, good experts on the draft. Former scouts, Daniel Jeremiah, who of course worked for the Ravens, Browns, and Eagles, now works for NFL Network, and Bucky Brooks. And so we'll talk about what they had to say about Joe Burrow and the Bengals And then we get into the Cleveland Browns version of the AFC North crossover. And we'll get back into that. Do some comparisons to where the Browns have been, where they're going. And we get some predictions at the end. And you guys can let me know about this. I think I'm the only one that has realistic expectations for the AFC North in 2020. As much as you can in February. So take a listen to those predictions uh, later on in the show. Let me know what you think. Today, we're going to start with Ian Rappaport's report on the NFL Network that the Bengals have communicated to Andy Dalton that they are willing to work with him on a trade. If you needed any further proof that the Bengals were ready to move on and find a new quarterback, this should put the nail in that coffin. If it doesn't, well, I think you're a vampire and you simply will not be sealed away because the writing has been on the wall now for quite some time. I think this is another positive in Mike Brown's book, though. He has been good to his quarterbacks, to veterans that have contributed to the team for a long time, and then were ready to move on. An exception to this rule, of course, is Carson Palmer and their infamous feud, but Boomer Esiason got a trade back to his hometown in New York when his time with the Bengals came to a close, and now the Bengals will look to do the same and try to find a place for Andy Dalton where he can start and he can have an opportunity to prove that he still belongs in the NFL. Of course, this is mutually beneficial as well. The Bengals can try, if they're lucky, to shoot for a second-round pick. I think that that might be a little bit lofty. Keep in mind that Dalton has a $17.7 million price tag attached to him for next year. And while that would rank near the bottom of veteran, i.e. second contract, NFL starting quarterbacks, that's a lot of money for teams that are currently paying a rookie. By comparison, Ryan Tannehill, who was traded effectively for a late fourth-round pick, 
to the Tennessee Titans was much cheaper. The Titans only paid him a total of $5.5 million in 2019, so the considerably higher price tag for Andy Dalton and the lackluster season, really one of his worst, showing some regression. You might end up seeing a little bit light on the return for Dalton, but there are also some things that really make sense. He's generally pretty well-liked around the league. You hear opposing coaches praise Dalton pretty frequently, There's, of course, the long shot rumor that he will go join Bill Belichick in New England. And sure, that could be a fit if things don't work out for Tom Brady. I don't think he'll be New England's first choice. But if they're looking to stay competitive in the immediate future, he wouldn't be a bad idea. I've talked about Carolina as a potential destination. They're talking about evaluating Cam Newton's health. I think that makes a lot of sense. And the obvious one, of course, is the Chicago Bears where one of Dalton's former coaches, Bill Lazor, is now coaching, and they need a quarterback to go with the talent they've accumulated on the rest of that roster, going all in with that trade for Khalil Mack from Oakland a couple years ago. So after the league new year starts, we'll have to monitor that situation for Andy Dalton as he is likely to be on the move one way or another as the Bengals look to clear his salary and recoup some draft currency in the process. Speaking of the draft, Daniel Jeremiah's podcast, Move the Sticks with Bucky Brooks, spent about 20 minutes today talking about Joe Burrow. Daniel Jeremiah saw him working out with Jordan Palmer out west, and they talked a little bit about what makes Joe Burrow a great quarterback. They talk about the scheme fits that would work out nicely for him, and it reiterates a lot of what we've talked about on the Lockdown Bengals podcast in the past. You can go check out the Move the Sticks podcast for those details. But what was interesting was they got a question. Is Joe Burrow coming into one of the most talent-rich situations of recent number one quarterback picks? And he said, yeah, outside of Cam Newton, who went into a pretty well-stocked offense, particularly the offensive line in Carolina, he went back through the last few first-round pick quarterbacks, going back probably 10 years, and said that, Coming into a team with an established number one, number two, assuming A.J. Green comes back along with Tyler Boyd, a deep threat like John Ross, not to mention an emerging talent and possession receiver Auden Tate to go with one of the best running backs in the league. They figured it out late in the year in Joe Mixon. And Bookie Brooks agreed that is a great skill group, but the questions, of course, are on the offensive line and how Zach Taylor will handle integrating Joe Burrow into the scheme. He concludes, though, Bucky Brooks does, saying this isn't a bad situation for Joe Burrow to fall into. And this goes in the face of everyone else who is recycling that Dan Patrick speculation. This isn't a rumor. Let's be clear about that. That's Dan Patrick speculating about Joe Burrow's answers to questions on his show that has been reverberated back and forth from aggregator to aggregator, from Deadspin to Yahoo to Pro Football Talk. They're all reading the same quotes. They're all making a mountain out of a molehill. And if the Bengals don't pick Joe Burrow, it'll be because they've decided not to. But honestly, guys, the odds of that happening are infinitesimal. And we can put that to bed. And I thought that, and I just thought that Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky came up with some great points today that I wanted to relay and reassure you that all of the national media isn't so far gone. And when you do your own work, you come up with things that make sense. Speaking of things that make sense, this might not, but we're going to take the next 40 minutes or so to talk about the Browns with the rest of the AFC North, talk about the expectations. There are some comparisons between where the Browns have been, where the Bengals are now, where is it apples to apples, where is it apples to oranges, 
What does the rest of the division think? A little bit more of the same from the last few weeks, but at the end of the show, we get into predictions for playoff teams from the AFC North in 2020. And again, I think I'm the only one that was realistic about that. So I hope you listen to at least that part at the end of the show. I hope you enjoy the whole thing. We'll get into that in just a minute. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go, not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75 degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe we've talked about it before. You're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angels Trumpet Ale House. Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break, plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. If you've been a listener of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, you've heard the great advertisers like Abco Safety, Tourism Arizona, and the Epic Hotel down in Miami who have worked with us to reach Bengals fans. We are a great way for you to reach out and get in touch with local podcast listeners. Our local Locked On podcast listeners, predominantly a male audience, well-educated, and most importantly, they have disposable income money to spend. So if you want to connect with Bengals fans to come make some purchases from your local business, we have an opportunity right now for you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. And we continue with the AFC North ultimate crossover series on the Locked On Podcast Network. Tonight, we will feature the Browns with your host, Jeff Lloyd, Chris Carter, Kevin Ostriker, Jake Liskow, as we roll on through the AFC North Quartet, so to speak. Joe Goodberry, nice enough for you to join us for one of these segments. And we are the jolliest bunch of a-holes this side of the nuthouse. Um, like I said, we're going to go the save the best for last with Browns night to get into the 2019 Brown season. Um, similar to, you know, Jake and Joe with the Browns night. It's, it's difficult. Um, for me, it was really difficult. We had, there was a lot of expectations here. Um, we were really confident in the roster. We were extremely confident in the roster. We kind of thought we had the right chef in the kitchen, so to speak, in Freddie Kitchens. Um, had no idea some of the things that were, being hidden from us as far as a general manager in the front af- front office standpoint. Um, and these are things I know because there's players I talk with, you know, Joe Schobert, who still, you know, never saw a contract extension, but was being told by a front office, we're getting to it. We're going to get you our initial offer. We're going to get you our initial deal. And the whole, the playing of, I don't want these guys to succeed 
or I, I don't want to put them on the field because they weren't my guys. I'm ready to move on. So if your whole thing as a general manager was to rip the roster to shreds and get a whole room full of your guys, well, that's great. You probably should have you know, hinted at that. So everybody realized, guess what? There's not going to be much success here because we're in the middle of uh, tearing the roster apart. Um, and then it just got to the point where, you know, Freddie Kitchens was way in over his head and we did episodes where it was like, oh my God, what's going on here? Guys aren't in the right place. And then on Mondays, guess what we would hear? We would hear from Freddie Kitchens, so-and-so is running the wrong route. So-and-so's lining up incorrectly. And then we hear from Todd Monken when the season's over, well, we ran the first 15 scripted plays. And after that, it was just, you know, free for all bingo. And Freddie Kitchens was calling plays from three and four weeks ago. And that's really difficult to do when your star wide receivers, Odell Beckham, was only able to practice on Friday. Jarvis Landry was only able to join practice on Thursday. So you, in that situation, if you stick to the script, maybe you had a better shot. Uh, obviously, Nick Chubb was fantastic. The defense was a good unit. And then, you know, injuries started to pile up. Obviously, we've talked about the Miles Garrett suspension and Miles Garrett reinstatement day. We're all thankful for that for here, Cleveland-wise. Um, but, you know, similar to Jake and Joe, it's not something I really want to <laughs> go back to. You know, it is it is what it was. It was 6-10 and 10 after it was 7-8-1. and one. It's a step back anyway. Slide, slide, uh, you know, anyway, you size it up, slice it up. But we're going to start delving in here, get the other guys in here. Uh, we're going to start here first. Uh, we'll go to Kevin here, obviously a host of Locked on Ravens. Kevin, the end of week four. Cleveland walked out of Baltimore at two and two, won the game. Baltimore was two and two at the same time. Um, at the time, Cleveland Browns were first place in the AFC North. Where did you think the AFC North was headed after that game? Obviously, now you know, the Ravens had two really good weeks where they just put a ton of offense on the field. Then they faced some tougher opponents in week three and week four, obviously had their issues and ended up losing both those games. Where were you at the end of that game as both teams walked away two and two? Man, it it was something that the Ravens had that game circled on their calendar. The Browns coming into Baltimore and the Browns, you know, for the Ravens fans and for me as well, it was a little disheartening hearing about the Browns throughout the offseason, right? They traded for Odell Beckham. Oh, they won they won they won the Super Bowl. They won the AFC North. Let's discount everything that Baltimore had earned. You know, that was the Browns, and the Browns made a great move. I, I would have done that. The Browns draft Greedy Williams, right? They won the North. Discount everything Baltimore did. As soon as Baltimore lost that game, I knew that something was going to change. And Eric DaCosta, who took over for Ozzie Newsom, is really a guy who's going to not let things slide too much. Ozzie Newsom had his guys. Eric DaCosta had his guys. Ozzie Newsom drafted some guys who weren't performing, namely Tim Williams, Kenny Young. After that game, something had to change. And right after the Ravens lost that game, I thought, well, oh God, the Ravens just gave up 530 yards on defense to the Browns. And the week prior to that, week three in Kansas City, the Ravens gave up 503. That's over 1,000 total yards in two games. And that's just not acceptable. Eric DaCosta knew that. He went out. He got LJ Fort. He got Josh Bynes. But all that aside, this game for the Ravens, I mean, I might have to thank you, Jeff, because this was really, I think, what, <laughs> what turned the Ravens season around. And if we fast forward to week 16 a bit, the Ravens had that game circled on their calendar as well, ended up getting the win, clinching some more playoff 
aspirations for for the Ravens. But if you look at the week four game, Nick Chubb absolutely obliterated the Ravens. 20 carries for 165 yards, three touchdowns. Baker Mayfield threw for 342 yards. I mean, you think about the Ravens defense, you don't think about 500 total yards on offense. You think about, you know, I'm not going to say the steel curtain days, but the Ravens have had some good defenses of their own over their existence. So when you look at a 40 to 25 beatdown at home in a game the Ravens were supposed to win, you, you mentioned both teams walked out of there two and two. The Browns had the tiebreaker at that point. The Ravens had a tough schedule going forward. I didn't really know what was coming. I was still confident, but a little wary of what was going to happen. Now, you mentioned with Freddie Kitchens, as the season wore on for them and as he as the writing was kind of on the wall. Personally, I thought they should have hired Greg Williams. That's my opinion. But I think that he played a key proponent, not only in, you know, some of the Browns mishandlings and falters, but also in not handing the Ravens the division, but making it easier. Um, My thing with Freddie was, and it's not that I was against it. He did a fantastic job towards the end of 18. Um, My guy at the time was um, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, who just won a Super Bowl. I was wondering why not Eric Bieniemy. Eric's got some... You know, I, I, at this point, I don't even know if it's really an issue. Uh, you know, you, you, oh, we'll go back to his Colorado days when he was coaching there. He, he's been pretty well removed from that, whatever. You know, just get past it, get over it. Um, yeah, look, I mean, you know, you gave a guy who was a longtime positional coach, got a taste of offense coordinator, you rode the hot hand. Um, at least they were smart enough to, you know, hit the eject button. And, of course, you know, when they tried to tell John Dorsey early in the season about week seven or so that, hey, this ain't working, this ain't the dude, he ain't capable of this, John doubled down then. And then when they mentioned to him that Freddie had to go, he tried to triple down on Freddie Kitchens. And it was like, okay, well, he's gone, and we're going to talk with you tomorrow. And which led, obviously, to the ultimate, you know, parting, parting of ways because, you know, you don't want to use these terms of, you know, fired or quit, but uh, yeah, I mean, essentially he was fired, but you know, they were nice enough to say here, here's your paychecks as well. Chris, I'm going to come over to you here. Um, the Thursday night game, uh, you know, did, did you feel a changing of the tides? And we talked about this when we did the uh, crossover for the second one, Doug Hodges, you were never a Doug Hodges guy. Uh, obviously that was Tony's guy. Um, were you confident for a win then? And what was your feeling on the Browns after that Thursday night game of, well, hey, maybe his little brother starting to close the gap here a little bit? When I was looking at that game, I was, I, I you know, I, I, yeah, like you said, I'm never, I was never big on De- Devin Hodges. I'm not that big on Mason Rudolph. I mean, I think, I, I at least think Mason can at least improve <laughs> someday, but yikes. Um, uh, I, you know, I looked at that and I was like, you know, you know, for a while I was like, you know, I was like, good for the Browns. They're doing what they're supposed to do, um, and they're beating up on this quarterback that's not, you know, looking anywhere on the field. I mean, he just he looked he looked helpless at one point. Uh, but then, like we said before in an earlier podcast, I mean, just the the utter just dismantling of everything that was won in that in that game with you know about you know thirty seconds of madness, and uh, you know, you kind of had everything just flip around for the Browns. And, you know, the, the Steelers would have made that that second game a target game anyways. You know, they would have circled on the calendar just like Kevin was talking about with the Ravens. But it became extremely personal with how that played out afterwards. And my evaluation was like, you know, 
also, I looked at this entire year as as a wash in the first place because as soon as Ben went down, and you know, it's not like they had, you know, it's not like back in the day when Ben Ben Roethlisberger would go out for four or six games, and they had Charlie Batch or Byron Leftwich to buy them some time and survive, or Dennis Dixon even. Jeez, Ugh. but uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, you look at but you look at this season, they. As soon as he went down against Seahawks and was announced he was out for the season, that's why the Dolphins gave up their first-round draft pick because they thought the Steelers would be a 4-12 and team and that they would get probably another top-10 pick there. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't like, super surprised that the Browns beat them. Um, I, I also think it's, you know, this like I said, this year carrying over to the next year is tough because, you know, they're, they're, they're hopefully getting back Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, but, you know, what, what spoke to me a lot to me was their, their game at Heinz Field. And uh, the, the Browns really had a chance to, um, to, 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 to to say, hey, we got a chance to sweep the Steelers for the first time since I don't even know when. Um, and, uh, and and they, they blew it. I mean, you had Devlin Hodges on the field. Devlin Hodges converted a late third down, um, you know, on a risky pass when the defense for the Steelers was dominating. Uh, I don't think that – I think that it was, it was good for the Browns to get that win, but I didn't feel like they – move the meter to saying like, Hey, we're, we're getting, we're getting back to this status. I, I just, I felt that the Browns, and this is what I said at the beginning of the year, everyone was hyping up. You had Baker Mayfield chugging beers at the Indians game and all this other stuff. I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not, I can't believe in the Browns until something happens, in, you know, integral to their organization. It's, it's like the pirates with baseball in Pittsburgh. I don't believe nothing they do until ownership changes hands or something deep within the organization happens to say, we recognize everything that's going on and we're breaking it. And we're we're completely changing how this organization works. And I know that the Browns are make, made some moves again this this year, but I just I can't I gotta I gotta see it before I believe it. It's understandable. I mean, and this is one thing we try to talk about, you know, with the fan base here, and for you know, it in you know for me having now covered this team three you know, three you know, and there's fans who've been fans of this franchise for thirty years, and it's like, well, guys, why am I? the one telling you to cool your expectations. It, it, like, it should be the other way around. You guys should be telling me this. Um, but look, you know, everybody has the lust and the love for a potential winner. And that's what happens. Um, Jake here. I hope that Chili is coming along. Great. Um, Jake, you go through, obviously the path the Bengals are on is similar to what Cleveland's gone through the first, the last couple of years. Um, it's, it's difficult free agency-wise because e- even if you wanted to give a blank check, some people are not always going to entertain the blank check. So now it's, it's, it's big on what's in-house, extending what's in-house, and, and drafting really well. And like that's part of the thing in where you know, Sashi Brown you know, got his critiques. But y- you need to do it. You're basically working with limited tools as opposed to some other franchises. Obviously, Pittsburgh, you know, they can do what they do. Obviously, Baltimore has become a good destination. It's it's really difficult when you're a little bit, you know, I guess maybe to use the word handicapped in trying to get and climb that next mountain. So what's all that like, you know, for a franchise? Obviously, you're in a good position here because, you know, you're going to get the guy. But it's not so much about Joe Mo- Joe Burrow as it is about you know round two, round three, round four, and those other picks, and hitting on those because not everybody's running to the Cincinnati Bengals, and you know to even use the term blank check, who's to say the front office would essentially even offer it? 
the the Bengals don't have the ability in the current CBA to offer what free agents want, which is guaranteed money. That money is required to go into escrow immediately when the contract is signed. And that's something that's actually up for reconsideration in the CBA. That that was a major point that was made, I think, last week in, in the CBA discussions that I think is going to be very interesting. I think that would impact the NFL and in, insofar as it would allow teams that don't have liquid cash to put more money into guaranteed deals. So that could change the way the Bengals play in free agency. And in the past, they have been involved in unrestricted free agency. And you see things fall through and you start to scratch your head. Warren Sapp. Do you guys remember when Warren Sapp was almost a Bengal? Yes, I do mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and the Bengals pulled that deal. It, Warren Sapp was ready to sign and be a Bengal. He was, you know, 30-something years old. But that was incredibly exciting for, for Bengals fans when that was happening. And then you have the same thing that happened this year with uh, Shaq Barrett. He ends up going to Tampa and getting 22 sacks or something this year. The Bengals pulled the offer because of medicals. So they they haven't been very good in free agency lately, and they've missed in the draft. And, I, I mean, trying to relate it to the Browns here for you, because this is, this is the Browns episode of the AFC North crossover. The Bengals haven't been in this position of losing four years in a row, but there are some lessons, I think, to be learned from the way Sashi Brown in particular accumulated capital and then – you have this transition and, and you get John Dorsey who's making win now acquisitions, right? And so there's a middle ground there. There are lessons to be learned from both of those guys in rebuilding a team. And, you know, you hope that the Bengals learn a little bit, try to accumulate some draft currency here. I, I think that in particular, the top of the second round is a right place to trade back. And so taking mm-hmm. that lesson from Sashi Brown, the trade back accumulate picks but the, it doesn't really matter, right? You just have to hit on your picks. And then what they can learn from John Dorsey is find the guys that fit, right? And I don't know if John Dorsey did a great job of that. I mean, Odell no. Beckham was hurt all year, but he should have worked, right? And he probably well worked this year. I, I think Kevin's, what's his name? St- Stefanski? Stefanski, yes, sir. I, I think he'll, he'll figure it out, right? You expect that he was a great play caller according to PFF last year. You expect that he will be a better play caller than first second time play caller, whatever Freddie Kitchens was. So you expect that some of those fits will start to work themselves out. But what you can take away from John Dorsey anyway, is that you can make a big move. You have to take the risk. And so that's what we're hoping for in Cincinnati, because for many Bengals fans, and I wonder if this is true of you as well in in Cleveland, at some point there has to be a straw that breaks a camel's back. I mean, have you had that moment in Cleveland in Cincinnati right now? It's if they don't draft Joe Burrow, and they continue as they have, no one is going to go to Paul Brown Stadium next year. Oh, good God, no. I, I don't see that. And that was, I even, and that's what was the, the, the thing that went into this year. It was the 7 8 and 1 in last year. And it was, you know, bringing in Odell, it was bringing in Olivier Vernon. And, you know, and everybody, oh, well, they gave up pick 17. And Odell, and it dinged up as he was, and obviously the hernia surgery that happens, you know, uh, in mid-January, it was still 80 for over a thousand. Obviously, the touchdown numbers were down, and the thing, you know, and everybody was on him, and like, like Odell could have said by Thanksgiving, "This is shot. I, I got to get this done now." So, but he still showed up week in, week out for what turned out to be a six and ten franchise. So, you know, he was good with the situation. Um, obviously, look. 
does everybody get along when things get ugly? No, everybody gets aggravated. Everybody gets PO'd. It's just the way it works. Um, but it's interesting, though, because I, I do think, you know, there's some similarities between Cincinnati and Cleveland where it's how it all works out. And sometimes you don't essentially have, you know, every paint on the palette, so to speak. Um, does anybody have a question here for Jeff as we start to keep on rolling through? But, guys, I got to be honest, as much as I was a skeptic of these, it's not been a bad week and a, and a bad run of episodes with you guys. Well, I had a question there at the end. No, I know you did. Well, I asked it. You didn't answer me. I asked if, if there was a moment like the Bengals have right now, right, where if they do this one thing wrong, it's going to be the straw that breaks the fan base's back. And you've had years of futility up there, but the Cleveland fan base, to their credit, has been remarkably resilient. Has there been a moment that you felt was going to be a watershed moment for Cleveland? Like, this is it. This, we're, we're done if, if this happens. Um, look, the, the one thing this Browns fan base would like to change is the one thing that nobody can change. You know, they would like a new owner. Well, guess what, guys? That's the one thing we can't control. Uh, you can control getting a new GM, uh, a new head coach. Uh, the one thing this franchise desperately wants and desperately needs and this fan base needs is you need Jimmy and D to just be people who wave at the games, shake hands, and you know stop saying, no, 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 I'm going to back away from this and let football people do football things or analytical people do analytical things. And then you can't come in five weeks later and say, Oh, well I have a question or, you know, I need to talk to you about this. And that, and that's the issue is they need to take a back seat and let people do work. And there's been plenty of head coaches, plenty of general managers who've been given false hope and that they are just going to be able to come in and go to work. And even John Dorsey and, you know, Jimmy Haslam falls in love with one guy in the room. He fell in love with John Dorsey. And then midway through the season, when it wasn't going well, he was back to Paul DePodesta um, and, and listening to him, which now leads to this analytical front. Um, owners be owners. Let the football people do the work. Uh, you want to come in and say, hey, I'm just a little curious. Can I watch a little film? I'll sit over in the corner and be quiet. That's fine. Just understand your role. Um, it's great that you're billionaires, but it doesn't necessarily know they mean the game of football. You're preaching to the choir there about the owner thing with the Bengals it, it, and Mike it, Brown. That's right? another. That is yet another one between you, you and I, and the franchises we cover. We'll continue to roll on with the AFC North Ultimate Crossover Series in just a bit here with Kevin, Jake, Chris, and myself, Jeff Lloyd. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Kevin, I'm coming back to you here. Um, obviously, you know, and we've teased you all week, and it's got to be tough for you here because you're trying to play the good souls are here and, you know, not come in and talk too much smack. But what's the key for the Ravens to make this a back-to-back -back thing and to, you know, maybe 14-2 and two 
it's probably lofty and unattainable. What's the key for the Ravens to fight off the Browns, the Steelers, the uh, the Bengals? Yeah, well, for the Ravens, it's really just staying true to who they are and not getting too cocky with it. I know if we go back last offseason to the Browns, I mentioned, you know, everybody was discounting what the Ravens had done, not only in the offseason, but also the last season as well. I mean, they were the AFC North champions, and yet here everybody was praising the Browns. The Browns got Odo Beckham. The Browns are going to get a second improved year from Baker Mayfield. And obviously that just didn't go the way that the Browns wanted it to. I mean, Baker Mayfield filmed, what was it, like, 20 progressive commercials and only threw 22 touchdowns. That's a 1.1 touchdown to commercial ratio. I mean, with Lamar Jackson, the Ravens fans, you know, with Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, there's been a discrepancy of, okay, who's the harder worker? Who works harder? And in my eyes, I think that's Lamar Jackson. And so with Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield earned those commercials. Don't get me wrong. He had a great rookie year, deserved every penny he made. But I think he was too caught up in it. With Lamar Jackson, he can't fall into that trap. Do I expect him to? No. Because the fact of the matter is Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, is one of the hardest workers in the NFL. He hears the hate daily. Ravens fans, I've everybody's heard the hate about Lamar Jackson daily. With Baker Mayfield, he never really had to question, well, is he a quarterback everybody has their flaws but Lamar Jackson had to fend off everybody and so with the Ravens having just under 27 million dollars in cap space they should prioritize the strengths on the roster draft to the strengths of the roster fill the holes that need to be filled and not get too caught up in the fact that yeah 14 and 2 was great the best regular season in Ravens history but they can't they they should shoot for higher the Ravens have the easiest strength to schedule in 2020 now obviously having a few teams with bad records not going to say any names but i'm just going to say that with the ravens they have the potential to come out and do better but they can't get caught up in the fact that yeah they ran the league last year because they didn't win the super bowl there's more expectations there's going to be the target on their back and they can't get too caught up in it now the ravens the young ravens have that playoff experience under their belt so my number one rule don't get caught up in the moment and just be hungry. Uh, my thinking would be maybe you should just learn how to stop the run. And that, that too. maybe would. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the, everybody. And this is the thing now. The Ravens are no longer, you know, a team. They are the hunted. And people are coming <laughs> for you. And it's going to be interesting how it works out. And it's not Lamar. You know, it's not Baker Mayfield's fault that Mama Jackson can't deliver some endorsement opportunities. And Mama sure Jackson's like, great. Don't go at Mama Jackson here. She is one yeah, of a kind. Yeah. <laughs> Ma- Trust me, if Mama Jackson could deliver $30 million in endorsement deals, Mama Jackson would be all over it. And league MVP, guess who's going to be the next progressive guy you yeah, know is going to yeah. happen? Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Chris, um, the way these Steelers are trending, this is it's going back to old school Steeler football. Mm-hmm. Um it's going to be a lot of defense. Um, you're hoping you're getting a healthy Ben. The question is going to be in 2020 NFL football is having a good defense going to be enough. Um, and we're going to get to Ollie with one closing question here. Is, is defense going to be enough as a calling card in 2020? You don't have a first round pick. So it's not like you can add in another electric playmaker here for, for Pittsburgh, who's drafting obviously in the top 20 along with, myself and along with the Bengals. Um, so how, how do you translate this? I mean, cause it, uh, 
almost all of this is on Ben on 38 and an elbow that took him out in week three, whatever it was last year. Is defense going to be enough? Well, I mean, yeah. I also don't think – I also think it's a little little short-sighted to, to think that uh, a playmaker won't fall to the second round. That's uh, that's where they got Le'Veon Bell uh, years ago. Um, also, a lot of the projections right now in the draft are suggesting that running backs are going to go very slow this year, as, as they often do unless there's like a, a Ezekiel Elliott out there that everyone's jumped to jump at. Um, but, you know, you know, they're like I, I brought it up the other uh, earlier in the week. Joe Marino, um, you know, did a mock draft where the Steelers got DeAndre Swift. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I think they'll have a shot at, at a J.K. Dobbins, you know, at a Zach Moss, at, you know, at a, um, at, a, at a Jonathan Taylor. You know, I think they could add a running back that could really help them. I also think there's some offensive linemen they could, they could be looking at. Maybe Damian Lewis, the second uh, interior offensive lineman that people are going to be talking about from LSU this year. But, you know, to me, the, the thing is that people forget, um, you know, like Jake brought up the other day. I forget if it was if it was – yesterday's episode or two days ago but you know that the Steelers you know only beat a lot of a lot of weak teams and yeah that's true but you know it's funny Kevin brought up how that the Ravens have the the easiest strength of schedule going in the season the team that has the second easiest strength of schedule is the Pittsburgh Steelers um and uh and and I think it's very important to remember just how inept the the quarterback position was for the Steelers and how often that kept putting this defense up against a wall. I mean, the the Rams game was was ridiculous. The fact that they won it, considering the first like play of the game, Mason Rudolph had a snap go right past him, and it was a touchdown returned by the Rams, and the Steelers were down seven nothing with no offense. Um, if if they get any semblance of offense, they again they don't need Ben Roethlisberger to turn into 2017 version of himself and and throw the ball everywhere. They just need him to know how to call the offense, run the ball when it's smart, and take the you know have have the good educated throws that a veteran might have. And uh, if he does that, and if they're a middle of middle tier offense, like ranking around like you know literally 16th in the league, I, I think that they're extremely competitive. You know, you look at the way the defense played and the way – I mean, they led the NFL in sacks for a third straight year. They led the NFL in forced turnovers. Um, and they're and they're extremely young. T.J. Watt, Terrell Edmonds, Devin Bush, a lot of guys that are, that, that are, that are coming, up, coming and growing. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick's extremely young. You know, I, I think there's so much potential with the defense. And all they need on the offense is just, uh, just a little bit of balance and, and just being able to put up – enough points to make them competitive. They, they almost beat the the Niners this this past season with Mason Rudolph only completing two passes that went beyond one yard of the line of scrimmage. Uh, that 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 game is insane. And the, the further the Niners went and how how close the Niners you know pushed the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and you look at how the Titans ran through uh, the AFC. I really think that the Steelers, if they could just develop a strong ground game again. Uh, that's just good enough to 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 keep some drives going and get the defense a couple more breathers. I, I think they're right in competition with everybody. So it, it, the the defense has to be great. Yes, I think they can be. Um, but will they have to carry a, an offense nearly this bad if Ben Roethlisberger goes down? Yes. But if if they protect him like I think they will by running the ball a little bit more or a lot more, I, I don't think it will be nearly as uh, as troubling on them and they'll get a lot more chances to create more turnovers because they won't be playing as much from behind or coming off of so many three and outs from Mason Rudolph or Devlin Hodges just not being able to do anything with an offense it's going to be interesting because you know they're definitely taking the 1980s approach and putting it into the the 2020 lens where it's you know 
and you know, I mean, and this is one thing I keep preaching to people and everybody wanted to get on the Browns defense this year. And this is what my issue was is no, we had an offense on paper that was supposed to go out and score 28, 30 points a week. And it didn't happen. So everybody, oh, well, the defense, the defense, the defense. We, we, you know, we lost 27 to 16. Well, no, this offense was supposed to produce 28 to 30 points a week. And this is where this league is at now. It's about putting points in a place. And, I mean, obviously we all, you know, everybody saw the Super Bowl. It, the point is, is, you know, when it gets going and the game keeps going, it's offense, you know, they're just always ready to go. And the good teams can score the points. Jake, I'm going to come to you here. Um, everybody talks about the plan and, you know, how we're going to make this work. And, you know, the most, you know, hidden secret, you know, most unhidden secret, Joe Burrow, obviously going back to Ohio to become the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. What's the plan in place? And how does this go from 2-14 and 14 to, say, 6-10, and 7-9, and 8-8? Eight eight? Is, is this franchise... Do they have it in place? And one thing that I've said and we've said throughout this week is, you know, in 17, where the Browns had the first round, the first round pick, it was Miles Garrett as opposed to other quarterbacks. And everybody still want to complain about it. There was no plan in place. There was no talent in place. You know, 18, it was a lot different with Baker. Do you is there a good enough plan in place where this can all succeed? And, you know, two and 14 drafting one overall is Cincinnati. Well, I mean, Cincinnati back into this fight with everybody. How soon is it? There's a few factors that you could argue. Yes. And I'll just for the sake of argument, I'll I'll just be an advocate for the Bengals for this segment. And so keep that in mind. I don't necessarily believe that everything I'm about to say is going to be predictive for the 2020 season. (laughs) But here are some trends that generally don't sustain from year to year. The first one is the Bengals played eight one-score games. They lost all of them. Over time, Justice Mosqueda has done a great job of pointing out that teams in one-score games tend to be 500 in those games. Over a long enough time horizon, teams in one-score games win about half of them. So if you go from that perspective, as he does, and you count when looking at previous years, you count one-score games as a half-win even if you won it, if you lost it, you count it as a half win. You do that analysis, and then and then suddenly the Bengals are 6-10 and 10 this year. And so where that immediately, I think, comes a little bit short for me is that some of those Bengals games that were one-score games were only one-score games because the Bengals scored a garbage-time touchdown. So I don't know how that math accounts for the garbage-time, now it's a one-score game kind of thing. And and I, I don't know how predictive it will be. Um but, but that's where I would start. The second place I would go is today on the Move the Six podcast, which is Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Books, of course, the NFL network analyst, former front office guys. They were talking a lot about Joe Burrow. They spent about 20 minutes on it. And for all the, the doom and gloom that was started by Dan Patrick about Joe Burrow and how there's no talent on the Cincinnati team, somebody asked a question, you know, is this the most – and, and I, was, I, was, I was amused by this question, right, because of what we've heard in the media lately. The question was, is this the most talented team a number one overall quarterback will land in in the last 10, 20 years? I don't remember what exactly it was, but Daniel Jeremiah said, you know what? I went back and looked, and the, and the only team 
that I think had a better collection of talent on the offensive side of the ball was Cam Newton coming into the Panthers. And he talked about their offensive line and their running backs that Cam Newton came into when he was a rookie. And so the fact that someone else said it and that I'm not saying it is what makes me believe it, to be <laughs> honest. That, that's what's given me a little bit of, of cautious optimism for, okay, Tyler Boyd is a legitimate good player, right? A.J. Green, no he's going to get franchise tagged. Assuming he's not traded, he's a very good receiver if he's healthy. Joe Mixon played the second half of the year like one of the best, if not the best, running back in the league. He wasn't very good for the first half of the year, so you hope the second half of the year, if you're a Bengals fan, is the truth. And, and then you say, okay, now what do I still need to do to build around Joe Burrow? Well, it's the offensive line, right? And that's where Bucky Brooks goes to on their podcast is, is the offensive line going to be good enough? Is Zach Taylor going to be good enough? So you look at the trends in the NFL lately of catering your offense to your young quarterback rather than vice versa. And that absolutely has to be the plan, right? They have to let their scheme fit Joe Burrow rather than forcing Joe Burrow to fit their scheme. And if they can do that, and if they can go out there and actually spend some money in free agency and actually hit on a free agent for once, that's the way they get back to competitiveness right away with a rookie quarterback. And they've done it before, right? I mean, Andy Dalton comes in after they were a disaster in 2010 or 2009. Sorry. I can't remember the year anymore. 2010. <laughs> and, and he's a second round pick. And I, I was like off the Bengals at that point. And then they go to the playoffs five years in a row. So this, this organization has turned it around quickly in the past. And there's some reason to believe they could do it again, but uh, there's just many ifs to get there, right? There, there are many conditions on that. All right, Jake, reliable. I'm sorry, not reliable. What do you think? Obviously, we all know Andy Dalton is out of town. What do you think is a realistic compensation? Second round pick, third round pick? I think I look at the Ryan Tannehill deal last year, and I think that that's the model that the Bengals need to chase. Probably you're looking at a third round value, and I don't know if they'll even get it because unlike Tannehill, who I don't think is paid terribly highly this year Dalton has 17.7 million on his deal next year for a starting quarterback in the NFL that's like 20th that's not that much money but for a guy that has a lot of question marks it'll depend on if teams see Dalton as the guy that took the Bengals to five straight playoff appearances that can run your team if you have enough talent around him which is the Bears right like the Bears make so much sense (laughs) it's so obvious and Bill Lazor's there too so uh Actually, another fit that I really like for him that is very unlikely to happen is Carolina. I think that the weapons they have there with Joe Brady there could really work well with Andy Dalton. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I, I would certainly explore that if I were Mike Brown. But I think uh, a third round is is probably like the realistic ceiling. And if they do better, great. Um, if they get nothing, it frees up cap space. And you know, just today though, uh, Ian Rappaport reported that. Dalton is that the Duke Tobin is open to working on a trade with Andy Dalton. So that's probably coming from the agent, right? No, I, I think he's, I think he's going to get moved. And, you know, I do think Chicago is a great one. I think Carolina is an interesting one and it makes a smart move for Matt rule. Cause it gives him the possibility of uh, Hey, are we in this? It, you know, if we're not, okay, we'll go to the young kid. I mean, there's, there's ways they can work this out as far as, you know, because I think Detroit's going to probably trade down twice in the draft they'll trade down to let Miami get to and then they'll probably trade down again to let Carolina or uh the Chargers fight out for who's going to get so Justin Herbert 
Um, before we put a bow on this one, guys, um, Kevin, Chris, Jake, who are the 2020 playoff teams from the AFC North and how many? Uh, for me, I'm going to say one. I'm going to go with Baltimore, but I do think Cleveland makes a run. Makes, make, but hey, I'm going to say Cleveland makes a run for for a wild card spot here. I am fully confident that Baltimore is going to repeat again as the AFC North champions. But so with how much talent Cleveland has, I mean, this was my thought process last year. With how much talent they have, there's no way that they're going to just waste all of it in consecutive years. I do believe an improvement is coming from the Browns. And I think with Kevin Stefanski now running that show, like I said, Greg Williams was my guy for the Browns. I didn't really like the kitchens hire. I thought handing over the entire team to a guy who didn't really have a lot of experience wasn't the best move. But now the Browns are starting to make some good decisions. And now with John Dorsey gone, the whole management has changed. I think the Browns have good building blocks in place. I think they are going to build something in Cleveland. I just don't think that this year is the year for the Browns to make it into the playoffs. But I would look out for 2021, 2021. 2022 for Cleveland. I think that could be the year where they start to make some real noise. Maybe this year is just, you know, a learning process for Kevin Stefanski getting acclimated with Cleveland, with Baker Mayfield, with the offense. But I think that the only team from the AFC North to make it ultimately ends up being Baltimore. Christopher? Well, you know, I'm going to be the Steelers guy and jump in this. I I do think two teams will make it. (laughs) Obviously, I'm going to say the Steelers. Uh, honestly, I, I really th- I think a lot of people it's it's so funny. The Steelers for years had a target on their back. They were the team that every week you got every team's best. They were like, you know, hey, we we're playing Pittsburgh this week. We got to get up for these guys. Um, and, and now it really seems like a lot of people are sleeping sleeping on me. It, and it's so funny in Pittsburgh right now. The talk of the town is. Uh, you know, on top of everything that's going on with hockey and and everything else. But, you know, uh, there was a Bleacher Report story about why the Steelers should get rid of Ben Roethlisberger right now and get $8 million back in their cap space. Yikes. Uh, and then there was Chris Canny, uh, the former Raven, who went on uh, went on first first take or Undisputed or one of those shows and said, oh, Ben Roethlisberger's done. He's washed up. Get him out of here. And it's like, you know, everyone's just assuming that Ben Roethlisberger's done. I mean, this is the same guy that – they, they broke his nose in the middle of a game, and he still threw a game when he touchdown pass. Yeah, I just I, – I'm not saying that Ben's going to come back and be comeback player of the year and lead the league in touchdown passes, but I, I do think it's a, it's a little foolish to to just count count him out yet, especially when you're, when you're looking at – they were a very good to great defense this year with everything that they were up against. And as good as T.J. Watt was, Stephon Tuitt was being defined as the best player on the defense when he got hurt. Uh, he he was on a serious tear. Cam Hayward started to come along. You know, I I really think that if if there's a it, it's it's so weird, but you know they they have a chance to be a dark horse. Um, and, and honestly, I'm I'm not even saying uh I'm I'm not even saying that the Steelers might be the wild card team. I, I think the Steelers, if they make the right moves, if they can balance the bring a run game in. They they can win the division and uh and catch Baltimore slipping a little bit. I still think Baltimore is more than good enough to make the playoffs. Uh, but. You know Ben. Ben knows how Ben knows how to win. He's, he's he comes up clutch a lot for the team. Uh, and you got the defense, and I, I think that they've they've learned. They, it's funny they're already battle tested. They have a lot of guys who have been through the wars, but a lot of youth on the team as well. They got a really good mix. They've got their locker room back. You know Antonio Brown's gone. No matter how many apologies he wants to give, he gave another one to <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, that guy. Uh, but. Um, I, I don't see I, I don't see a reason unless there's another there's more massive injuries or the Steelers don't do anything to bolster the run game. 
Um, I, 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 the, the, if they, if they don't do any of those things, fine. Yeah. They, they, they might, they'll miss the playoffs again. Um, but I, I really look at this situation. I think, man, the, St- the Steelers have uh, have a have an easy way. They have an easier schedule this this upcoming year. They're going to have a lot of chances to make moves, surprise some people, and then you know, come November, December, everyone's going to be like, "Oh wait, well, well, we all saw this coming, right? It's the Steelers," and you know, they'll forget all the times they were trashed them in the off season. Yeah, uh, I don't know who your second playoff team was, Chris. You said two, but that's okay. You, you got to talk about the Steelers. Well, I understand wait. how it is. Oh, I thought you were going to fight back. All right. Uh, I think that I it's... it's Ravens. Oh, you said Ravens. Okay. Okay. I didn't hear you. My yes, bad. he did. Yes, he did. My bad. Got stuck on Come all on, the Steelers man. talk. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's likely one. And I think that it's Baltimore. But it's, it's February. So like, this is all predicated on the assumption that the quarterbacks are what matters most. That That's the only way I can really make this discernment at this point because the Ravens don't have a pass rush in 2020 right now. And the secondary looks half good, I think. So it's half really good. Well, half yeah, good. Marlon Humphrey in a safety. Don't, aren't you losing a safety? Marcus Peters and oh, Chuck Clark. Marcus yeah. Peters is okay. Don't you have Marcus, a safety that's Marcus a free Peters agent? All pro. <laughs> yeah, Marcus Peters did have a great year. Okay, so so different opinions of Marcus Peters here, but <laughs> I, I just the, no 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 I'm with Jake here. No no the thing with Marcus Peters is he is so beautiful in the moment. Um, but there's a reason Marcus Peters is on his third franchise at this point. He might be good again too. I'm just saying there's questions. I hear you. Right? The secondary could be the strength of the defense for sure, and then you've got Lamar Jackson to, to foundation the offense, and those are the things we can be relatively certain about for 2020. For the Steelers, it's it's all questions for me. I don't feel confident confident saying I think this is a playoff team in 2020. And of course, any number of moves they make could change that. And then the Browns are, are the real wild card to me. The Browns are the team that I think could could sneak in. The uh, the second team that could sneak in for a lot of the same reasons Kevin says. There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of high end draft picks on the team. I don't expect Odell Beckham to play like just another guy again. This is a guy that is has an argument to be the best receiver in the league for a long time. So I expect that Kevin Stefanski writes that offense a little bit. Miles Garrett was reinstated today. So the defense should be okay. Olivier Vernon, is he going to be hurt again all year? I don't know. Is Greedy Williams going to be hurt again all year? So there are a bunch of guys for the Browns that and, and, and Denzel Ward, of course, right? Like your whole secondary was hurt all year in Cleveland. So there's a lot of things that could fall into place in Cleveland because there's a lot of talent on that team. But again, like the Steelers, there's just this element of unknown for me, which is the Browns just, they, they haven't done it before. So I'll believe it when I see it. They have all the, the ingredients to do it. It just has to come together. And then the Bengals, I think they're just, they're not going to be there yet. So uh, I think that it's probably a two-year project and I would be surprised if they're a playoff team, especially knowing the way they usually approach the offseason. So even if they nail the draft, you don't make the you don't make the playoffs with rookies. They would have to get no, good play you. from veterans, and I think that means they need to add in free agency. And I don't see them doing it. So that's that's my maybe nuanced take. I, I think that in in order of of likelihood, it's it's uh, Ravens, Browns, and then a big gap, and then depending on the Steelers' offseason, and then another big gap, and then depending on the Bengals' offseason. <laughs> 
Guys, I'm just going to say it here now. Um, there's too much talent here. And for the first time since this franchise has been included, and if the approach is blindfolding somebody and throwing darts at yes or no decisions, they finally have a unified. The roster is here if they draft well, which I think they're going to do because they're going to take every aspect of it. Sharpie, whatever you want to do, freezing cold takes. I'm going to end the show like I started yesterday's. Your 2020 AFC North champions are the Cleveland Browns. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.